Hello, and welcome back for another episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Pretty happy to have special guests today. We've got the folks from Video Fizz here, Laura Stewart and Eric Gokin. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Thanks for having Very us. Very good. Mr. Watson, how are you? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm tired. Tired. You, uh, you get tired from being up on top of the roof today? Yeah, I didn't really want to talk about it, but I was definitely threatening to jump off the roof earlier. You know why, right? No. Nope. Because I'm a startup founder. Oh, <laughs> how about you guys? Uh, it's been a roof kind of week, for yeah. sure. Roof or rough? <laughs> <laughs> rough? Rough enough to be on the roof kind of week, for sure. Well, thanks for coming to join us. Um, why don't you guys introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about what VideoFizz does. Awesome. Well, I'm Laura Stewart, and I am the CEO and founder, and VideoFizz is a mobile app that aggregates media. We started out as B2C, we're kind of doing a B2B thing, and I'm sure we'll get into all of the intricacies of that as we talk. I'm Eric Gokin, the CTO, and have been with Laura now for almost two years. Jesus, serious? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so great. So we're we're all in Kansas City. You guys are uh, based in Kansas City, right? Yeah. And you you started about three years ago. Yes. So when you started the company three years ago, what was the original problem you were trying to solve at that time? <laughs> and then I'm going to guess from your reaction that it's not anything like what the problem is you're trying to solve today or maybe last week even. And that's kind of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I would also like to give Laura an award. She just bagged the first live swear. I did? Yeah. Did I say shit? Yeah. Shit. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you. Right. Thank you. We talked about this beforehand. And hey, we... sometimes being first is better than any other. You are first to market. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. It's going to happen a lot. And I'm going to apologize to those sensitive uh, listeners out there. You're on the wrong channel. You're on the wrong I, channel. I, I agree. I really, I really like Laura so far. She's got some great insight and vocabulary. Anyway, back to telling us about video, Fizz. Uh, Tell us a little more about what it does and why you started it, maybe what problem you were seeking to solve, if any at all. Well, I think we have to start with where I was uh, when I came up with the idea, right? So I had managed two companies for GE. Uh, I was in cancer genomics. I had a gene sequencing business in Houston and an oncology clinical trials business in California, and I commuted out of Kansas City. So every Tuesday, I got up at 3.45 in the morning. I flew to California. I spent Tuesday and Wednesday in California. I came back. I did that three weeks out of the month. And then the fourth week, I went to Houston. And I'd been doing it about four and a half years. And pretty much in that industry, I'd gone as far as you could go, other than being CEO of one of the GE businesses, which would have required me to move. And I didn't want to do that. We're, you know, Kansas City-based. We have a lot of family here. And um, somewhere along the way, I decided that I noticed every time people get sick, they start recording video messages for their family. And they always do it when they look like shit and they're half dead. And and that's how they want to be remembered to the people that matter most to them. And I thought, what if there was a way that we could capture and create a mechanism for you to have that kind of communication when you're healthy and not sick, and it could be consumed by the people you care about throughout your life cycle as opposed to when you were dying? Does that make sense? You know, sort of, I, I was just trying to figure out how do we do that when we're not on our last legs? And so did that all revolve around 
capturing photos or videos? It or was both, video or? messages, right? So almost like video time capsules. And the idea was at the time I had a, a preschooler and he was graduating from preschool. And I recorded this message to him that I wanted him to receive when he graduated high school. It did not mean that I was going to be dead when he graduated high school, but I wanted to have this sort of way you could go back and have video of the people that mattered to you sort of speaking to you. And, you know, as I validated and I have to, you don't see this, but there are bunny ears around validated air quotes, air quotes, air quotes. Am I the first air quote? Cause these air yeah. quotes are big frigging air quotes. Yeah. I validated this idea with, you know, would you want to do that? Would you want to record a message for someone and they could go and, and look at it later? Everyone thought it was a great idea. And so I started this company and I had a lot of my own money in it, almost a quarter of a million dollars. And it was a platform where you could record messages and leave them to people in sort of a repository that they could then go and get at the time that they were released. Sort of like an ATM for video messages. And it was called Live On. That was my first mistake. The name Live On resonated with everybody as this is my death message, right? Like this is, I'm, this is my message that lives on after I'm dead. I just thought it was a badass name, but uh, obviously I'm uh, not. So, very... so I was going to ask you if you knew anything about live on. So I didn't know that because I knew one of the employees that was there. Well, I came up with that name in a, on a whiteboard. And then when I went out to buy the domain, it already existed and it existed in a company that was similarly veined and so I bought that company okay. right? and then I shifted it and started making it into the video time capsule. So I, so I knew somebody who was at the, the, at the, the other version. Yeah. Well, I thought Jesus was involved, right? I mean, I thought he this was. was divine intervention. Was. I'd come up with this name in a group of 12 people. And then we go out to buy the domain name and it's a company that's for sale doing something similar to what I decided. I thought I was like, this was going to be a slam I almost did the second time dunk, beep, beep, dunk, and spent all my money on it, you know, had somebody develop the site. And then I was accepted into this entrepreneurial fellowship program that's here in town. And they required me to quit my job in order to be in the program. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, I got to be all in, I'm going to quit my job. I was sick of traveling anyways, but it was very hard to walk away from that amount of money, if you know what I mean. I have a question for you. Yeah. So at some point you have to decide to make this leap of faith. And I'd sometimes say you have to jump and build wings. Now with that, what were some of the things about your business that made you feel comfortable taking that leap from something that was steady and secure, meaning a paycheck mm -hmm. into the world of entrepreneurship, which is certainly not predictable. I was not steady or secure. I was terrified. And if I hadn't been forced to by that program, you know, make the decision, you're 100% a founder or you're not, I would have continued to do the paycheck thing and work in the evenings and work when I was traveling. And that is a recipe for disaster because you cannot, you cannot founders out there that are still working in your job. It is impossible to give your full energy to both things. And this beast requires everything that you have. It absolutely does. We're all in or all out. All yeah, in. We've spent some time talking about that in the past. The, the fact that a little bit of healthy obsession 
Um, so with that, you probably had to, when you finally went all in, you probably had to give up a couple other things uh, in order, you can't do everything all the time. So what were some of the things that, some of the sacrifices that you made along the way that were worth it or maybe not worth it? Well, I mean, I went from managing big teams and having employees and being able to sit in rooms where we talked about ideas and and other people's brains were involved to every single thing that happened had to come out of my head. And, you know, I I think I underestimated the toll that that takes on someone, right? When you can't sit and, and bounce an idea off of somebody, everything you come up with either seems like shit or it seems like it's great. That's twice. But you know, that, that was the, that was the, that was the biggest problem. And then, you know, how did you learn how to deal with that? Or did you? No, I haven't. That's a daily thing. I mean, anytime I can get anyone to talk to me about the business and I can listen to another bit of feedback, whether I, whether I act on it or whether I just use it as informative, you take it, right? That's how Matt and I met. And anytime you can get someone else to look outside of your business and say something about it, it's welcome. I mean, sometimes you just have to take the things under advisement and, yeah. and they can be terrible sometimes ideas. Sometimes they're terrible ideas. But, but sometimes they can be things you never thought of before. Like I had lunch with uh, somebody this week and his biggest struggle, and I think you have the same struggle, is building the technology was actually the easiest part of it. It was identifying the go-to-market strategy. How do I sell this thing? Who do I sell it to? How do I find those people is by far the hardest part. And as a developer, I've always been the one writing the code and didn't think much about the the business side of it. But, you know, especially this second time around with my company, like that part of it is much more clear to me that that's the big challenge. But I was having this hard conversation with him about, you got to pick, you know, are you, you going to do this? Or are you going to do this? Or are you going to do this? And your entire business model changes because of those in things a day. In, yeah. a day. in a day. And for him, he, it was like, does, does he, fo- hit, hit, he was doing some stuff around accounting software. And it's like, do you, you know, do everything around QuickBooks and then find everybody who uses QuickBooks and you're not going to charge them very much because they don't have a lot of money. Or are you going to do something around Oracle financials and it's a whole different market and your whole business model changes the same product, different market. And so you have sort of the same problem, right? You, you built it thinking one way. And over time you've decided to go a completely different direction with your platform, right? Well, I think so. I have to disagree on the, what's the hardest part, because for me, I'm a non-technical founder. So I built it three times and I kept paying people to build it with no way of, having rigor around whether or not it was good, whether or not they were qualified, whether or not it was going to work. And the first set of 200 plus thousand dollars I spent with an app development company delivered a product that didn't work. So then I had to do it again. And you build it the second time and the shit still doesn't work, right? So that's where Eric came into the picture. It's like, okay, Laura, you do not possess the ability to have an education or educated um, thought process around whether or not you're, A, it could be my fault. I'm not communicating what I need in the way that you guys hear it. Um, But you are just wasting time and wasting money. You've got to bring that side of the person into the business so you can move forward. So for you, it was probably more the commercial side, which would have been me. And for me, it was definitely the development side, 
which was Eric. And that was a huge step because now I'm responsible for Eric's family. Now I'm responsible for, you know, Eric, I pay Eric more than I pay myself. And, you know, he's worth every penny of it, but that's a big deal when you're like, okay, I don't have to just worry about my own bills. Now I've got to bring a sizable, um, you know, payroll on. Well, and I, I think I would actually argue there's actually a third component to that. You, you've got the the business person mm-hmm. that understands the business, hopefully kind of has the vision for the product, right? And you've got the developer who can write the code. There's actually a huge gap between there, right? You got to have somebody yeah. actually in the middle that knows how to translate between there. Mm-hmm. Or otherwise, if you're going to that app development team, you're like, make it do X, Y, and Z. And, and somebody has to understand why you should do xyz and what that means to the product the technology like and that's usually the critical role of like the technical co-founder that's got to have enough experience that can speak both sides they can right. speak the business side and the technology side and those people are hard to find it's bing, not bing, 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 it's not one. yeah it's not as easy yeah, as just finding no. somebody who can write code no. it's also understanding somebody who can write code but isn't just following directions like an engineer, like an engineer, like you throw them a, a hundred page spec document and they produce it. Mm-hmm. There's got to be somebody in the middle that knows like what those hundred pages are. And nobody does development that way anyways anymore. Yeah. And so it sounds like you found the unicorn. You found, you found Eric over here. Well, I, have a, I actually have a question for Eric. Eric, what were some of the things that when you came in, you realized needed to be done right away, not at all, or maybe in a real hurry? <clears throat> I mean, I think like every day there's something that has to make that decision. You know, for every dev spec that you get, it's okay, well, you told me that I want this and I want it built in a certain way. So I'm going to go build it that way. And that may take who knows how much amount of time. And being able to have the site and look and see like, well, that's taking too much time. That's not really the important part of this product. We should build it differently or let's change how that feature is built. This is the core piece. Spend your time on that. You know, that's where we need to focus our attention. And I think there was a plenty of cases where, um, you know, we would have a feature that we're, we're working on and then that be a feature we weren't sure if it was going to be the, the core piece of functionality. So it was like we're testing out something. Mm-hmm. And so then, okay, well, let's try it this way. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, well, then let's change that feature instead of just keep beating our head against the wall until that feature is done, you know, versus sometimes you know, we do a lot of video processing, we do uh, video aggregation, you know, edits to video, that's the core piece of our functionality. So when when we're working on that, it, it can't be tweaked or altered or, you know, but, uh, I mean, hacked I in the, there, you got to do it right. The first two weeks of him coming on board, there were eight things that I had been told were impossible that he implemented. I mean, it was night and day. Things like, you know, we... You know, in the product, you can invite other people to submit a video and we automatically stitch that together. Well, we were downloaded in hundreds of different countries. And at that point in time, we were matching you by your phone number. And so we couldn't handle any global customers because the phone number digit number was different than the USA phone number digit number. And I was like, can't we do a code? Can't we do like a five digit code? No, that's impossible. Eric comes in and goes, why don't we do a five digit code? And it was done. This this reminds me of going on a website and the real particular when I type a credit card number, if I put dashes in or not, I'm like, right. Can't some stupid developer remove the damn dashes? Come on. Right. Like you and I get that like Mm -hmm. as developers, but I guess the other developers don't, right? And that's right. the difference between us, right? Maybe. Well, and that's just, you get a spec and they say, hey, we need a credit card entry field. So type it in this way. Okay, great. 
that's what I'll build and that's what it, what comes out. You got to have somebody that says, oh, wait, we don't need to do it that way. We don't need to, you know, tell them to put this in or do, we'll do it this way instead. It'll be much easier. Okay, great. You know, right. you got to know what capabilities are out there and be able to mend the solution to fit, you know, something that's better. So as the non-technical people in the room and, and listening, th this is the problem, right? When you're dealing with the app development company that you gave all this money to and didn't get what you want is they, they can be so literal about these things and they just, they just want to bill their time and bill you and they don't care. And software Here's development my favorite is so question. much more difficult. Is it scalable, right? Is it scalable? Like I really didn't even know what that even meant when I was asking it. I just knew we needed to know that it could handle volume and you get, yes, it's scalable. We're on Amazon EC2 servers and it's infinitely scalable. And then the first big campaign that we ran, we had like 8,000 downloads in a day. And I mean, I was literally in the office drinking mimosas thinking I have done it. I have, Eureka, I've done it. This, I'm going to buy an Island. It's going to be the best thing ever. And then within an hour, here comes the bing, customer service emails. My video isn't processing. How long does it take? How long does it take? And I'd hired Eric and he hadn't started yet. So the first, you know, exposure that Eric got to me was me like, what the hell is happening, Eric? Oh, I want my island. And uh, he's like, let me see what I can do. And what was happening is his processing videos one at a time. And so within just two hours of a campaign, we had more videos than we could ever deliver and we had to kill it. And it was like, you know, celebration to absolute despair in a hour and a half period. That well, sounds like a normal day. Yeah. As it's a God forsaken day. Yes. And, and Laura, I think, and I'm hoping that what I'm about to say is going to make you feel a lot better. I'm very impressed that you only had to build it three times. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm being I'm being serious about that in a lot of ways. Um, you know, building any platform, whether you're a developer or non-technical founder, you're never going to end up with what you started with. It's always getting replaced. It's always doing a lot of stuff. I've had to teach myself a lot of things along the way as well. And, you know, it's a steep learning curve and it's hard to try to figure out who might take advantage of you, who might not, you know, what's good, what isn't. And, you know, it sounds like you found a pretty good match with Eric. And that's uh, when you saw what he did right away, how did that make you feel about the future of your platform and your business? Um, I felt stupid that I hadn't spent the money on the talent earlier. Right. I really felt like, Oh shit, I just wasted a half a million dollars. And if I'd made this higher earlier, we would be a mile, you know, ahead of where we were. So I actually, saw it as a deficiency of mine and not pulling in the resource soon enough, if that makes sense. But, but I think the problem most people have is not knowing how to find Eric, right? I mean, how did, how did you eventually <laughs> find Eric? Oh, I found her. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Um, I was, was like, you, was, were you using the product and you like, he, some of the message like, fix this shit. What the hell's wrong with it? He was dying <laughs> and used the old platform to capture that on the short film. And for those of you that visit us at our website, at startuphustle.xyz. We'll have a picture of all of us. You will see that that's kind of absurd because Eric is clearly younger than Matt and myself. I am the youngest in the room. Yes. Without a doubt. Without Absolutely. a doubt. Without yes. a doubt. There was a guy that did video work 
for video fizz and was just talking about it and talking about the tech and talking about all the stuff and how it was built and a little bit of the history of the company. I was like, well, I should talk to Laura and see if, you know, like maybe I could help with, you know, how that tech is going to get built in the future, just as like a consulting kind of thing. And then that turned into, Hey, I heard you might need some, you know, an opening and, you know, I was trying to play it all cool. So he was in, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll have to have you checked out by some people that I know. And he left and I was like, Oh my God, again, Jesus is involved. Jesus has sent me Eric. <laughs> I'm not religious. I'm sorry. And I apologize <laughs> to all the people I'm offending right now, but you know, it was, I had, you know, when you are a non-technical person and you're trying to find a, a CTO, the people that were applying were awful. If you're a tech guy and you're out of work right now, I mean, it's, I almost said something really bad there. Can you edit this? But you, I mean, you've got to be like seriously bad. So I thought I'll use this, uh, I'll use this, um, thing called spark hire where you have to record an interview and I get to see them and take a look at them. And there were guys like, you know, in lounge chairs with no shirt and their underwear and like responding to applying this. to for jobs. I'm not kidding Wait, you. You were looking on Tinder for developers? Yeah. Tinder, but I mean, uh, you know, you go to Indeed and then you go to all these different places. And I had like set up a network of people that I wanted to vet them. And I, and I remember I flew this one guy in and, uh, you know, I flew him in, I believe he was from Kentucky or something. And I picked him up at the airport and we were meeting downtown at, um, what's the bar that's across from, uh, think big. Whatever. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Isn't like, it a strip club? The Ruins Pub, plug for Casey. Anyway, so we go to the Ruins Pub. And from the drive from the airport to Ruins Pub, this was not going to work, right? I mean, I think he had said something about this was a cute app twice. And that, you know, he thought that his, his wife's friends would really like it. And I was like, okay, this guy has no concept of what I'm talking about. He's offended me four times. And so we sat down in the bar and he was getting a drink and I opened the laptop and booked his Southwest Southwest flight home. And then, you know, just let him have his beer. And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to take you back. Uh, You know, I don't think we need to spend much more time together. And that was a waste. I mean, that was a waste of a day. That was a waste of Line someone in. So that challenge for non-technical founders who have ideas is really, that's a mountain that getting over that is gate. That's just gate one, right? That's just gate one. I, I think this is actually a good time to talk about a few of the things related to hiring because it's a tricky, tricky game. And what, you know, so you flew someone in from Kentucky and I'm just curious, did, had you had multiple conversations with him before that or, okay. So what was different between a phone conversation or a different conversation as opposed to when he's there in front of you? Like what really changed? Was it just the energy or was it that he's now referring to your app as cute? Yeah. I mean, it was offensive. I just, I think it was, you know, he was in a different mode of professionalism when we were on the phone. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it 
turned to, you know, cause I was really open about what I needed and I really didn't understand the market and the mistakes that I'd made. And then he kind of came in real cocky and was like, Oh, I built this and I built that. And, you know, and he was an asshole. I mean, that's how it was. It was great on the phone. And then he was an asshole when you met him in person. And it's not like he's my first hire. I mean, I've hired right. hundreds of people in I my business. That, right? I usually have a good feel for it, but when you're hiring somebody that you can't assess their skill, I can't assess their skill. He could have been the best developer in the world and I would not have known it. So, I mean, I was just in a, it was a shit show for a while while I was trying to find somebody and, and this and Eric coming in, you know, you got to get lucky a couple times. And that was one of those times where I just got lucky. Well, even a well-vetted employee is a dice roll a lot of times. Like I always say, you don't know what kind of a job someone's going to do until they show mm -hmm. up and do the job. Yeah. And I've had people that I thought in the past were like, this is someone that's just going to change my life. And it just fizzled. And as far as hiring goes, and I wanted to kind of share this with our listeners, I have a rule. I won't hire you unless I've met with you three times and you've talked to at least three different people. I've literally pulled my cleaning guy in <laughs> and been like, I need you to talk to this, this guy or girl and tell me if they're weird or whatever. And that's just because mm -hmm. your impression of someone can be completely different from the first meeting to the third. And they, Kind of like what For you sure. went through and someone might seem great and I'm going to love this person. By the time you're through that third meeting, you're like, man, this person's going to wear me down. Well, and that's definitely true if it's a, a, a co-founder, right? As you said before, it's, it's easier to get divorced than it is to uh, split up with a co-founder. It is. And while we think about that, let's actually take a quick break. Do you guys want to come back and join us for the second half of the show? Awesome. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a, about a 30 second break so I can talk to Laura about her language. <laughs> I won't be coming back, apparently. Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson online at startuphustle.xyz. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson online at startuphustle.xyz. And we're back. I've got good news. Laura made it through the break, and so did Eric. Hello. So we were uh, talking about a couple things right now. First off, because I want to have the facts straight, the bar across the street from Think Big is called Bazookas. No, not that one. No. I have not been there, but one of the advisors for Gigabook is one of the partners at Think Big Partners. Okay. And I've been down there several times, and I've often wondered, how difficult would this really be? To, to work across the street yes. from a strip club? Yes, just like on a reasonable level. But It would we'll be, be really easy in Missouri because there are not really strip clubs in Missouri. Okay, we're going to have to have a separate episode. Okay, all right, all right. we'll have so, to test that out. We'll have to test it out. All right, so we were uh, we were going to talk a little bit about what's a good idea now, what was a good idea and isn't now. Um, that all sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> it might have, but I think we should talk about it because, you know, a lot of times we have to change our business model. We have to do things different. And sometimes it's because we realize that we need to, and sometimes we're forced to do it. So I'd like to kind of get back to that. We In the first half of the show, we talked about that a little bit. And I think it's important because hanging on to something for too long can be deadly. And I know that I personally, Matt and I both 
are admitted entrepreneurs with ADD. And that means I've got a pretty large shipyard of unsailed vessels. And while ships are a lot safer in the harbor, they are meant to be at sea. But, you know, me personally, I'll try 10 things hoping that one works. So when you made your pivot, what was the one determining factor that made you want to do that? And how's that going? Well, I think, you know, we talked about live on and I went into that accelerator and the first day we were all, you know, I was the oldest person there. I was for sure, I would say the most accomplished having run a couple businesses. I had the most business experience and I walked in, I was going to be humble, but I don't know that it was true humbleness. I've figured I'd be the smartest person there. And, you know, I walked in, hell no. And, uh, so as we walked around the room and they wanted to ask us the question on how we validated our business, by the time the third person spoke, I had that, oh my God moment. I didn't validate this business, right? I just asked a couple people who worked for me, (laughs) you know, what they thought of this idea. And now I have sunk a quarter of a million dollars of my own money and I quit my job. And so tears started to roll out of my eyes and I was sitting there at the table, wiping one and putting the mascara on my black skirt and wiping one and putting the mascara on my black skirt and trying to make sure that nobody could see it. And by the time it came around to me, I was like, I didn't validate my idea. And that is the explanation why no one has used it at all. I did not. I don't know what to do now. And the group kind of talked about it when we went to the bathroom I was hysterical in a bathroom stall. And I don't mean like, you know, like, oh, I was like, (laughs) and I called my husband and I'm like, oh my God, I got to get my job back. I screwed everything. And he knows me and he laughed and was like, suck it up and go back in there. It'll be fine. And so as I tried to identify what was wrong with that first business model, and I really asked people, it was like, okay, live on made them think it was a death message. Uh, It was a one-to-one communication that was really, uh, you know, scary for people. They didn't know when to leave it and they didn't know what to say. So, I mean, people who had given me money and invested had never made a time capsule. The only person who ever made a time capsule on the earth was me. So not, not a single person, not a single human ever used. I'm so proud of that. Including your kids. No, hell, they thought it was terrible. And so, you know, I thought they were just brats. And so that's how we got to uh, Video Fizz 1.0 is that I'm like, okay, if the problem is we don't know when to do it, let's do it for a special occasion. So let's try this for birthdays, graduations, anniversaries. If one-to-one is the problem, let's do it with a group of people, right? And so Video Fizz was designed... Um, so that multiple people could participate from wherever they were in the world with a video message to somebody, and we would automatically stitch it together and give it to them. And when I validated that, I made a fake one, and I started showing it around. And within two weeks, I had 70-some-odd requests, and I was managing over 800 individual files in different Dropbox folders, and I had them putting them together in iMovie, and I'm like, okay, I'm on to something. I've got to automate this process. The videos were hard to email. They were too big to text. There were all these issues that I had to solve, and an app seemed like the way that we could make that easy. And, and you, you validated all of that with and you could have did it without the $250,000. Oh, God, yeah. You know how was, much I spent $5 on Fiverr to make the animation for this thing. And then I put it together in iMovie myself. 
What I think is a little more important is that we invite Laura to our Founders Club. Yeah. Yes. What is that? Do we drink? Uh, if you want to, uh, our fa- Matt and I's Founder Club exists only for the purpose of allowing tech startup founders to cry <laughs> to each other. Or I drink, have no more tears. I don't or, cry anymore. Or just if you just want to curl up in the fetal position in the corner and just be left alone. I just go catatonic. We, we will not judge and we will not. We just won't be judging. You did ask me for a hug today. I needed one, buddy. <laughs> I needed one. And, you know, that's that could be like a whole series as to why. All right. And by the way, I want to point out, Matt would not give me a hug. That's oh. bullshit, Matt. I'll give you a hug. Thank you. Eric's. Thank you. There we go. What? Okay, oh, wow. there was a hug. Hugs. hugs. That, was also, was a hug. that was also our first live hug. First live hug. I feel like we're There's going to be a I lot. Like we are, I feel this like is we're a pioneer episode. Right mm-hmm. What well, else? So would you like to, would you, do you accept our invitation? I do. Okay. I, I, I thank you and warmly from the bottom of my heart for inviting me. Thank you. Great. So, so you made this pivot mm-hmm. and you started doing, <laughs> yeah. started doing this for birthday videos and all this stuff. And so yeah. that sounds much more exciting. It was really exciting. A lot better than death videos. <clears throat> I'm wondering how, that <laughs> when I think about that too, I'm thinking if you're setting your business up around the product being used by someone that's about to die, how are you going to get repeat business? It was never supposed to be. See, look, we didn't even get past that. It was never supposed to be for someone who was going to die. Damn it. Live on. Die. Um, (laughs) We don't ever have to talk about that again. That's one of those things that could just be left in the corner. So how did it go with the consumer, the consumer side of it? And so what's really exciting to me about that part is it has a big network effect, right? Like it does. everybody has to download the app. They make the video, they send it to all these people. And then all these people learn about what video fizz is. And they're like, Oh, this is cool. I could use this. And so how, how did that go? Um, well, I think it went a lot better than Live On did. I mean, people loved the end product and people were using the product. And once we got the technology solid so that you could invite people, um, I mean, we still have a hundred percent satisfaction rate for recipients. And we did that with an outside vendor. So people who receive this thing, this video fizz, love it. The issue for us was how to get to the network, the beginning tipping point of consumers And, you know, I thought it would be as easy as a few Facebook ads and we'd get a few hundred people on and they would grow and they would grow. And my early models, that's what it looks like. But that's not really the way things work. Um, And those of you who think you're going to advertise on Facebook and the armies are going to come, it doesn't necessarily work like that. It's a skeleton army for you. It's a zombie army coming to take all your money. And so what happened to us is we have a great product, but the customer acquisition cost is $39. So to get a person to pay on Facebook, then to make one in the correct manner, and then invite enough people that we consider it a viral coefficient cost us $39. And we chart, we were charging $9 and 99 cents for a um, subscription, right? If it was a free product, it would be very different, right? Then your, your cost to acquire a customer is different. You don't have those gates to go through, but I'm in the Midwest. And when you pitch to people that you've got a product that you're going to go after consumers with, and you're going to eventually get to the network effect and there's no revenue involved, it's a very quick conversation. Right. I I think the whole cost of acquisition mystery is something that a lot of founders just grossly underestimate. I mean, I was in that same boat uh, through probably every business that I've ever bought an ad for. And I think one of the mistakes you can make is if just 10% of people that needed this would use it, I'd Mm -hmm. I'd get my island. 
mm-hmm. and my jet yeah. and all yeah. this stuff. And the thing mm-hmm. is, it's like, that's a pipe dream. Like, that's it. That, so. You, those are like learning. Those are like the steps of learning this process, right? I mean, I laugh at the things that I didn't know two years ago. And I fear the things that I will know two years from now, because if I were to do this again, and this is why serial entrepreneurs are, you know, revered and loved and funded is that you understand those mistakes along the way. It doesn't mean you you shouldn't make them and you shouldn't learn from them, but you've got to learn quickly. You, you can't just keep staying so, um, stuck in your own ego that you can't move past the data that's in front of you. So true story. My last business was successful. We sold it. Never could have told you what our customer acquisition costs were. Mm-hmm. We didn't even do advertising. It was a whole, it was a whole different model, right? It was completely right. different. We did, we did uh, cold calling and we knew how many, how many phone calls you had to make, but never thought about it. Like, cause we didn't do online advertising. So like cost per click, cost per acquisition, like from that perspective, Never even thought about it. It's B2B. It was B2B. Yeah, there's a there's a big difference between B2B and B2C. And you know, mm-hmm. the next iteration of what we're doing now is B2B. And that CAC or the customer acquisition cost is completely different. The revenue model is comp- completely different. And you know, it's not where we started. It's not, it's nothing like where we started, but it's a viable business now. And you know, so tell us more about that. So I still love the consumer piece. It's still a great product. And, you know, there's a part of my heart that just doesn't want to let that go because I know it works. But without a channel partner or a strategic partnership that has millions of users already to expose it to, we can't grow. So what we noticed is that there were people who were using our free video stitching piece of the app for businesses. Specifically, we saw real estate agents that were taking a video of a house, putting three or four pictures in of a house and creating this stitched video set to music. And I was like, what the hell is that? You know, what is this? And so I went and I was just doing some market research and I went and talked to an acquaintance of mine thinking he was a real estate agent and said, you know, this is how people are using my app. What do they, what do your agents do and how would they use this? And turned out he was the CEO of an 8,500 person real estate agency. I didn't really do my due diligence on who he was. We were just having a talk over coffee. And he's like, I want that. Can you make that for me? And within two weeks and such little tweaks, you know, we moved the happy birthday animation out of the beginning and it became the United Real Estate logo. Instead of you putting the name Tom in, you put your agent name and contact information and the video stitching worked. We solved a problem for agents who were going home at night and trying to put their movies together themselves in iMovie or paying production companies $400 to go out and create something we could do in minutes with our tech, with no changes. I'd like to issue you a challenge, Mr. Watson. I'd like to do a Rochambeau and the loser has to film a music video with Video Fizz for the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. Yes. All right. All right. I'll do that. Yeah. This is a one out of one battle. I'm only going to do it because I've lost every single Rochambeau. It's got to be my turn to win. I mean, I know, I know those statistics don't aren't actually true, but ready? ready? Tie. Wait. Stop. Stop. stop, That was two papers. Go. Two papers. I shall. Two rocks. (laughs) Two rocks. Come on. Be individuals. Yeah. 
DeCourcy wins again. Make oh. sure to tune in to the Startup Hustle YouTube channel where Matt is. What, what are you? I'm not recording this video at I want, Bazookas, that's for I, sure. Okay, look, I think we should do another one to see who has to pick the song. Well, it if work you it. win, you can pick the song. If not, I, uh, I'm oh, pick just, I, I'll pick the song. I'll pick the song, and it'll I be something would, already I, in the app. I think, actually, I think we should do a user poll. I think all four people here should pick a song, and let's let the listeners vote at the StartupHustle.xyz right. website. All right. I'm going to go with Carly Rae Jepsen's, what's that song, Hello Maybe? Um, all right. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. I'm going okay. with Stay Alive. Okay. I'm going to need a second. Oh, Kaja Goo Goo, Too Shy. I don't even know what that is, but I, I hope it it's wins. A, it's a bad 80s song, and it'll be epic. I, the only dance I really know is the one from the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, so I'm going to go with that song. Okay. Nice. Sweet. You're lucky that you didn't lose a bet that you had to recreate the barn dance <laughs> from Footloose or All something right. like that, which we'll keep that in there. So anyway, oh. back to, I, I think that our listeners will have a good time watching Matt's music video. I think you have a very bright future All right. in music. So, so, Laura, how can we get more information about Video Fizz? Where can we download the app and, uh, you know, let everyone know where, where they can film their own music video? Well, you know, first of all, it, you can't film your own music video with Video Fizz, so what? it's going to be difficult. Um, but what we're doing now is uh, auto branding for small businesses and uh, real estate. And of course, if you have a, your parents are having their 50th anniversary, you can absolutely download it in uh, either the Apple Store or in Google Play. And you can go to our website, www.videofiz.com. And by next week, there'll be a four enterprises button uh, that will allow you to create auto branded videos. So anything that you post socially can have your logo, your contact information, and you can do it on the fly. And we think that's pretty badass and it's going to help a lot of businesses. And actually, for those of you listening, by the time you hear this, it will be live. Yeah, for sure. That's true. That's true. We're in a week delay. Whoa. Maybe. It just depends how long it's going to take Matt to get his act together for the video. So as, as we close this out, I actually would like to give each of you the opportunity to ask one of us a question. That's a good one. This was completely unscripted, much like our entire Do you show. Do first, Jerry? No. You don't? Oh, I do. I for sure do. Okay, so... Uh, raising money and everybody who's listening to this is raising money or in some stage of raising or needing money. Um, did you, how did you handle the absolute despair that that puts you in? I mean, legitimately asking people for money is like begging for food on the street, even if you feel like your product is great. I couldn't hate it any worse. Why are you laughing? They're both just like looking at each other and laughing. I'm laughing because it's either episode, was it two? that literally titled raising money sucks or something like that. And then I think that prostituting we, yourself for fundraising it's I'm going to write a book. I will write a book and it will be called the, I can't say that out loud. Never mind. I had well, to edit that. Have you raised some capital? I have, I've raised a million and a half. I'm raising again right now. Um, it's the worst thing in the world. So those of you who are doing it, it's never easy. It's never fun. 
It's always a balance between what you actually need, what you can get, and bringing the right people into your company and screw it up, and you'll be sorry forever. So it's like the one of the most challenging things I think you do in your business. I, I disagree with some of that. I hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about raising money as if they've fully sold their soul to the devil. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think Matt on some level is on agreement with me about the fact that there is a good time to raise capital. And that's at that time where it's going to just put jet fuel on the fire for you. Mm-hmm. Now, I you don't always have the opportunity, you know, the option of, hey, I'm not going to raise money. I personally haven't done it. But I start going in the process, and it's like you said, I hate it. He doesn't. He hasn't done it. I no longer am listening. Well, that's not the case. I, I have. And I go out, and I'm like, oh, I just get so frustrated, and then I just start writing checks. Now. <laughs> okay. So, okay, man. Well, yeah, and I think you know something about that as uh, well, yeah. sir. Well, so for my first business, I we never we never raised any outside capital at all. We One of our friends gave us a hundred grand once when we really needed it to make payroll. And that's like really the only investor we ever had besides our own Visa and MasterCards. Um, for StackFi, my business now, I've been able to fund it all up until recently. We we're getting ready to close our first outside uh, outside funding round from mostly just angels. Yeah. So I had like, I had one, um, I had, you know, a few angels that were going to invest like a couple hundred grand had one yeah. that's going to invest half a million dollars. They were just individuals. Um, but we were at that, we're at that stage now where it's more about putting fuel on the fire. So, right. you know, we're, it's a lot easier to to know what we're going to do with the money, and we have a predictable predictable growth and model and business. You know, that's not things. how it goes for most people, right? Well, well, it's it's easy to raise capital at the stage we're in now, right? right. It's it's a, it's so much harder at that idea stage of like, oh, I want to create videos, do this, and I think people might buy it, but I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like where my company is now, like we know to the nth degree, like who our customers are, what they look like, what they feel like, how we find them. We know all of those things. So it's easier to, to scale that. It's You have to get to that stage. Yeah. And that's the really, really hard part is getting to that to that point. Like your, your question, like, oh, we know it cost $39 to get a new customer. Well, you had to probably spend a whole lot of money to figure that out, right? Yeah. And that's the hard part is trying to convince somebody to give you the money to figure that out. Yeah. So, you know, Matt, let me ask a question on behalf of our audience, because you sold a company for $150 million bucks. Okay. And that's a pretty good day for all of us. If you know, that's what we're all trying to do. Why are you raising money? Well, first of all, I didn't own all of that company. I understand. I, I owned a a good amount of it, but, um, you know, I've, I've invested a lot of money in, in my business to this point. And people do ask this question a lot. And part of it was trying to put some other people's money to work, um, and being able to bring in some, outside uh, board members and, and things like that. So we're actually getting some kind of incredible board members and advisors and things that we didn't have, um, which is good. And I mean, I've still invested like 90% of the, the money that's been invested is, is still come from me. So um, originally, probably kind of like you, like I, I went into this thinking, oh, I'm going to invest like a couple hundred grand and I'll get through the seed stage of it and I'll yeah. figure it out and I'll go raise some money. Well, for me, that ended up being like millions of dollars later. And that just goes to show how hard this is. It's, it's so much harder. Even though I had the, the capital to do it, it was still incredibly hard. But it was just burning capital month after month after month after month for years mm-hmm. um, trying to figure it out. And so, you, you know, made a lot of mistakes and burning money along the way. While we're on the subject, too, it wasn't super easy at the beginning for you. No, hell no. Well, Even though I've done this before, it wasn't easy. 
Yeah, I think, and I think that that's good for all of us to have a little validation there that, you know, even some of the most seasoned and successful entrepreneurs that are, have businesses in advanced stages can still, well, first off, hate the whole process of it, but have difficulty with it. And I think it wasn't, it was necessarily difficult. I think it was probably just. You don't, you, the, the thing is, as an entrepreneur, you don't know what you don't know, right? right? So with my first company, as I mentioned, we didn't do online advertising. We didn't like back then. I don't even know if Facebook was even a thing when we, when we started, right? Like um, it was just completely different business model, how we sold the product, all of that was different. And then today my current business is completely different. Like I have customers in over 50 different countries. I've got a whole different host of issues and problems and the business model is just every, every time is different. Every time is different. Now to your point earlier, now I understand things like cost per acquisition and CAC and what's my CAC to LTV ratio. Right. And like, I didn't know any of those things. No. But now when I sit down with another person, those are the things I try and educate them on. I'm like, okay, you can build a product. That's cool. But what is your customer acquisition cost going to be? Have you validated the idea? How do you find these people? Like those are the things as an, as an early entrepreneur, you don't know. And that's why you had that moment. You know, you mentioned earlier about crying in the bathroom, like yeah. the things you just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But, you know, I, I, here's what I say about that. And it was really embarrassing at the time, but I could have tried to ride that out for two more years. Right. And just tried to make it work. It was cry in the bathroom, flush the toilet, go back in, have a little bit of red eye and then figure out how you're going to solve it. Somebody listening to this did not validate their business and is not been listening since that part. And all they're thinking is, oh my God, some of my friends told me this was a good idea and I don't know why it's not working. It doesn't mean it's the end. It means you've got to literally sit down and put your plan together on how you're going to figure out what you didn't do already. And, you know, when you talk to people who've done this now, the first thing I always say, because now I've been, you know, I've raised a little bit of money and I'm in my third year now. So, you know, that makes me kind of a dinosaur. If you can make it to your third year, a lot of times people want to come and have coffee with me and they want to talk to me about how I raise that money. And the first thing I always ask them is how did you validate your business? And, you know, that's the first question. And right. it, generally it never goes farther than that, right? It's, they have to go back and they have to go validate it. And I would say that two out of the 10 people that I talk to take the time to go and do that. And the other eight just think I'm mean and never come back. So I, I I don't remember what the exact stat is, but I think it's something like 90% of companies never make it past year five. Yeah. So that, I think that's the big hurdle is getting that, that far. Ooh, two more years. You're, we so can you're, do it. We can do it. Way, right? yeah. We can do it. And we're going to, we're going to have a fifth year gigabook birthday party yeah? in May. Yeah. Well, Stackify Ooh. is, we're finishing out our sixth year. And I, I figured like yeah. we're there, like we're, we're past those hurdles. Like we're good, but so maybe that's not. Actually part of my question. All right. So oh, what you came up with one? Yeah. Got my question. Yeah. What uh, what's some advice for growing a company once you've kind of made it past some of those early stage milestones? Do you have my business plan that I posted earlier on Facebook? Oh, yeah. It's a pretty genius plan. I think that we probably share that. Well, this was bro down that one. (laughs) The startup, cash out, sell out, bro down, repeat and buy a bigger jet. And buy a bigger jet. Yeah. And so island. To, I think the answer to your question is kind of the real tip and takeaway of this, this whole show is you have to understand your customer. And this isn't, it's important that the very first time, like validating the idea, but it is still important. I mean, at, at Stackify, we're six years into this. I've got 600 customers in 50 countries. We're making money. We've raised capital. The still number one important thing to our business is understanding our customers, understanding what they want, how they use our product 
what they'll pay for. It's understanding the market and who are trying to sell our product to. Like I spend a lot of my time these days talking to Gartner, talking to our customers, trying to understand the market. What is the market doing and how do we service that market? And because the, the dynamics of it continue to change, right? Like what StackFi does today is not what StackFi did six years ago. Yeah. And it continues to change. And we're sitting here, like I had a management meeting today, and we're talking about well, what are we doing in 2018? Like we're talking about big changes that will continue to evolve the business. And part of my job as a CEO is to, is to continue to talk to customers and Gartner in the industry about that growth and how we continue to adapt and evolve. I mean, it's a never-ending thing. This morning, uh, we were actually talking to a customer this morning, and we hung up the phone, and we said that it is strange that the people who have issues that you talk to and you have to solve end up being the most important customer because, A, you have an opportunity to give them customer service. Right. So we really excel at that. I mean, right. she was like, your customer service is amazing. And, you know, we just look at that as an opportunity to figure out what it was that was wrong for her. That's so worth gold. It seems like a problem at the time when you get something on your customer service line, but at least one person who experienced it called the other nine didn't. They just right. left. That's they what, just yeah, left. That's the point of contact. Too. At least you got that. That's what I say all the time. For every one person that tells you, there's probably 10 more that didn't. Or 100. And and you're really lucky that that, the that one, one person did. did yeah. Yeah. And, it, and that's one of the hard things is having kind of the spidey senses of knowing like, okay, is this person just complaining? Is this a real problem? And But all that customer feedback is gold. You're absolutely right. I, I think my response to your question, Eric, is very similar to Matt's. And the advice would be get past the whole feature thing. People don't buy a feature. They buy the benefits that the features provide. They're trying to solve a problem. And and if you've been listening to this series, you've heard me say that multiple times because I'm very adamant about it. And I think that so many people in sales and business and just in life, you you go and even go to Best Buy and ask them about the camera that you're looking at and they're like you know they list a bunch of stuff that just you don't even care about like is this going to take clear pictures of my kids and do it in side or whatever like that's all that matters to me and if someone just literally quit naming features and told me how it's going to benefit me is it going to save me money is it going to make me money is it going to uh, make me feel cool is it going to you know like is it going to you know and the thing for us at Gigabook that we thought people were going to be really excited to revolutionize their business and run a, a tighter ship. Wrong. They were happy that they got their life back. Mm. Like they didn't care about the business being efficient. They were they, the number one thing that people say to us is they're like, I am so I got like 15 hours a week back. We're like, wow. Well, and so one of the one of the challenges that entrepreneurs have is describing what their business is and what they do. And you've got to be able to explain the problem you solve, and it's got to be simple. And so, mm-hmm. and actually for StackFi, that's been a hard thing, actually, over years, years of time. And I think just now we've sort of figured it out. So for us, it's like we help software developers validate that they do a software deployment and it works. That's what we do. Like, forget all the technical jargon. That's the problem we solve. Mm-hmm. For you, you help, you help small businesses get their time back. For you... You You're know, helping real estate agents and like, what, yeah, what is mean, the problem you solve? What, I mean, three weeks ago, it was, we make it easy to create group video greetings for any occasion, right? That's what it literally was three weeks, three <clears throat> weeks ago. And so as we're sitting here trying to come up with how do we smoothly articulate that next piece into businesses, it's like, we allow you to auto brand video on the go or, you know, for a real estate agent, it's different applications. And that is, you know, understanding that and being able to verbalize that 
has so many layers underneath it of do you understand who you're talking to and what they're using it for? I mean, we're in a little bit of a flux because we've had such a major shift in utility in the past few weeks, but we also found people who pay because what we used to be charging was $9.99 for a year. And now people are paying us $12 a month and they're thrilled to do it, right? They're like, I don't have to go like you said, back, giving me my life back. I don't have to go at the end of the day and sit down for my flower shop and put my logo in the corner of iMovie and take my content and then try and feed it into Dropbox and then drop it into Facebook. That all happens inside our app. So maybe I'll be back on another episode when that will be short enough to put on a t-shirt, but <laughs> right now it's under construction. So as we finalize this episode, I do want, and we've been talking about price and value. I do want to once again encourage you to go to the Startup Hustle YouTube channel where completely ad-free, you can witness Matt Watson with his debut music video that you can vote on. You folks get to pick what Matt is going to perform. And apparently we can't do that through video fest, but we're going to figure out. How, I'm right? pretty oh, sure can. we can We're going to figure out how I'm going to call Eric. Somehow I'm going to need, know gonna need your contact happen. information after this. Anyway, if you get a chance, go to Facebook, search Startup Hustle XYZ. We'd love to have you join the hustle along with us. Uh, it's a community built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Laura and Eric, I want to thank both of you for your time. We know that's valuable. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks to the listeners, you guys. Stay frosty. Keep at it. You're not alone.